0: Today's guest is Louise Byrne, currently a Games Promotion Officer with Dublin GAA in the Scarys Harps Club. Louise graduated with a Masters in Strength and Conditioning from Carlow IT and is passionate about sport, has huge experience in areas such as coaching, coach education, s and and is also a performance analyst with the Kilkenny Senior Hurlers. Today some of Louise's key messages revolve around catering for the needs of what's in front of you and the importance of being able to adapt as a coach, being child-centered in your coaching and also how the child can be a teacher. I really enjoyed the chat today. Something for coaches of all levels in this one. I hope you enjoy. Delighted to be joined by Louise Bourne here today. Louise, you're very welcome to the show. So Louise, currently a Games Promotion Officer with Dublin GEA, as well as being a Performance Analyst with Kilkenny Senior Hurling Team, as well as having a Masters in Strength and Conditioning. And just to top it off, uh, you also found a company called Burn Performance alongside your sister. So I'm not exactly sure where to start here. So maybe we can jump in with, with the company Burn Performance and you can tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Brilliant. Uh, thanks, Stephen and Niall, for having me on. So um, I suppose Burn Performance, uh, myself and my twin sister Emma um, have set it up there just in the last two or three years. So probably just based around in terms of just providing sports services to club teams and county teams. So few areas we'd focus on would be fitness testing uh, performance analysis with different teams and um, video analysis that's kind of in there and then just kind of a little bit of coaching workshops and, and different things like that too so in terms of just sports consultancy and a little bit of gps analysis also so
0: so you're trying to offer like a, a one-stop shop that you can provide everything to a, to a club or a team if that makes sense
1: Yes, so just a little bit of assistance where, where people might need it and we felt maybe our skill set in terms of the different experience we've had to date might assist different club teams going forward in the terms of background or kind of performance.
0: Okay, so you've mentioned loads of different things there that I'm familiar with, but I'm conscious that some of our listeners may not be. So talk us through, uh, say to, say that I am a adult uh, senior team, that I come to you guys, a uh, GAA team, and I come to you guys and I say, right, I want a give me the give me the full package um talk me through the process how that works what exactly you do so you mentioned gps you mentioned an, uh, performance analyst performance analysis sorry um you mentioned uh, fitness testing stuff like that so talk us through that sort of full package that that you guys would do
1: yeah so it's trying to cater i suppose with the team that's in front of you so every team's different in terms of their level maybe the resources they currently have uh, the level of players so you're trying to suit Um, your services to the players themselves and what they need. So again, sometimes it's maybe just advice on a consultancy basis, a bit maybe a lot of areas they could maybe put into place themselves. So it could be um, basic ideas of maybe starting to interpret stats, maybe getting somebody in their club um, to start a pen and paper. And again, it's just to suit the team. So it doesn't necessarily have to be myself or Emma providing it. It can be trying a little bit to use what they have on the ground as such, first and foremost. And then in terms of, I suppose, each element, whether it's fitness testing the want or if it's performance analysis, it's to try and cater for the team that's there. So again, it could start off in one sense and could, could change a direction. Then again, depending on the time of season, it depend on the type of team you're, you're working with also.
0: Okay, so that's really interesting though that you're not trying to go in and do everything for them. You're actually trying to empower them to become better in what they do themselves or to become that little bit more self-sufficient.
1: Definitely, because I think a lot of people, if they just look into their own team, um, even their players themselves, a lot of them can be in third level education and a lot of them have the skill sets that can really benefit the team. Maybe it's just putting a bit of thought behind it and a process and a structure um, to work on that and work at what they have and even the resources they have themselves. You see some of the, the GA teams themselves having a gym facilities or maybe a balcony that they can easily utilise a, f- a video session or um from and even i suppose long term nearly trying to reduce costs in terms of maybe injury and preventing injury and different things like that
0: okay that's really again really interesting that that to try and bring people in and 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 empower them um you have your master's in snc you're accomplished analyst uh, and and obviously you're coaching full-time in your role so you have a very unique perspective i suppose on how maybe all of those things fit together so the the fitness element in terms and, and strength and, and your strength and conditioning as well as where performance analysis comes in and then how that fits into the coaching model could you maybe talk a little bit around that in terms of your own experience or your own thoughts on that how they all fit, would fit together
1: yeah so i think um it was always an area I was interested in terms of coaching, but I think all them areas feed into my day job as such, in terms of as a GPO uh, with Dublin GS, So in terms of even in a school, you might not think performance analysis is, is applicable there, but you're still using your coach's eye to maybe see a child and maybe the process of, of them trying to do a solo or a row lift. There could be one aspect of that that's letting them down a little bit and they're finding it difficult. So I suppose using your coach and eye to try and assess that and to try and get the best for the child and I suppose even bringing it back, then again, maybe if they're trying to do a row lift and actually can't lunge properly or do a fundamental movement, it's going to be very hard to build the sports skills on top of them. So I suppose I'll be a big advocate of fundamental movement skills first, and then obviously building on the sports skills after that. So I think trying to even empower others and educate maybe teachers you're working with, coaches you're working with, about best practice in terms of working on fundamental movement skills and skills and then also even the fitness side of things too because children maybe aren't as active as they were years ago so that's a big area and a big challenge for coaches um, to try and ensure that they're getting physical activity and I suppose if you have them for 60 minutes that you want it to be maximum activity levels and also fun and engaging but also then encouraging them to practice at home so if if you have them for one hour on a Saturday you want them to replicate some of the activities that's fun and engaging for them and child-specific that they can engage with them throughout the week, two or three times. And again, hopefully you're engaging the one child, but then the knock-on effect of maybe engaging with their siblings their parents and your one-hour session could influence and expand to a greater audience then in terms of if it's best practice.
0: You mentioned, uh, I I just have to jump back in here because... Uh, <clears throat> I don't want anyone uh, thinking that you're doing a performance analysis on your, on your nursery kids and stuff like that. So you talk about your coaching eye. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean there? Because I think that's really interesting. Uh, obviously, I know what you're talking about, but I think it's a really interesting concept the way you link that to the analysis in terms of how you actually coach.
1: Yeah, so I suppose when you get any child to do a skill your, observ- uh, your observation skills become really important there. So it's breaking it down into maybe what their hands are doing, what their feet are doing, what their head is doing, what their is doing, if it's a hurling or camogie skill. So I suppose that's really important to maybe see where that link is missing. And then to try and maybe not just tell the child where to improve it, sometimes letting them figure it out. So whether it be discovery in uh, just discovery learning or, or maybe let a child observe another child, their peer, because they kind of assume you as a coach can do everything you're that kind of god in, in their eyes but sometimes when they see a peer doing it it's maybe more applicable to them and then they can find a little bit more of a of understanding that they can do it themselves because a lot of the times they might say i can't do it straight away which is kind of very sad that they're they're nearly afraid to make a a mistake in front of you the coach or in front of their peers for for fear of being laughed at or whatever else so it's up to the coach i think to really instill that look at you, you make mistakes and it's it's no harm to kind of keep going back to your own. Maybe you make a mistake, you try and do a skill and you make you make a mess of it for them to really relate to you um, that look you're only human too and you make mistakes and you keep trying on. You don't just say, I can't do it and I'm, I'm stopping. So I think that's sometimes with, with the younger generation now is I can't is coming up a lot in their vocab- vocabulary and they're afraid of making mistakes.
0: Okay, so in your coaching then you're trying to build their confidence as well as their
1: skills definitely so i think coaching is kind of the bigger picture such too so the, the the sport that you're maybe maybe coaching it is one thing but i think you're really trying to coach the person and kind of a holistic approach at them so uh, their, their mental health um their their fitness their confidence so you're trying to incorporate all that in your coaching and you're trying to make them a better a person and it really instill I think a love of sport and physical activity that we all know the benefits of sport and physical activity but if we can make sure that the doors are open at a young age rather than if they perceive themselves to be maybe uh, not good at sport they'll close the door and then they're going down a very very different lifestyle going forward and at a very very different path so we want to instill a real love of sport and physical activity from a young age that they'll continue throughout life.
0: Yeah, you're you're touching an awful lot on the the physical literacy stuff and, and with you're your talking about confidence and motivation and, and subject close to my heart um you guys are i know you are really really big on on pushing the fundamental movement skills early Um, could you talk us through maybe your, your process that you do with that with the with the younger kids and your nurseries your academies and how you can see the benefits later in, in later years
1: um yes yeah, so again with, with our nurseries like the, the focus has to be on, on fun first and foremost. But then I suppose that the big aspect is that you're using a uh, suitable equipment. It, it's child centered. A lot of it's all based around the fundamental movement skills. And then you build on the skills on top of that. So I suppose maybe people looking in, sometimes it's important that we're educating either the parents, uh, be it the committees in the club that's responsible for coaching also. Um, and you're educating the wider population. And I think that's slowly becoming um, obvious to a lot of people now that the importance that the, the academy, that we The coaches there are doing exactly what's needed, uh, be it beanbags, because I suppose maybe a few times you'd always get the question, oh, well, how come they're not sideline cutting the ball or how come they're not doing these advanced skills at this age? But again, we need to make sure that they've developed the fundamental movement skills, first of all, to be able to build on the sports skills afterwards. So sometimes that's historically um, what's maybe always been done. It's sometimes hard to change that. But again, I think sometimes just educating the parents side so of parent evenings, parent flyers, uh, talking to them through the rationale of each activity that they know that they are Mary or John or whoever their child is, that they've practiced six or seven skills today or of movement and then to encourage them to practice at home for the next week. And that there's a real, there's, there's rationale behind everything you're doing, that it's not just um it's, it's not strange to them that they're, they're really understanding what underpins it all it's essential not basic skills I think sometimes our language would be important there too so they're essential movement skills
0: okay and you mentioned parents a few times there do you do you get much resistance do you think or has that tide sort of turned are we are we, are we past that now that the, the parents understand that these skills are essential for them to, to progress in there to be active for
1: life yes yeah, so I think like with workshops I think parents are understanding maybe the sedentary behaviour of a lot of children nowadays too, um, in terms of even being allowed to run on the yard. So I think once you explain that out to them, that, look, they're not being as physically active as maybe we were when we were in school or or, or themselves were. So it's important that it nearly needs to be taught now um, in terms of, and the nursery is a prime opportunity in terms of you're dealing with children from the ages of about four to seven, roughly. And again, then keeping working on that throughout the ages, that you don't just stop and you move on to the skills, that it's always reinforced, uh, constantly throughout their coaching journey. And again, I think if we can get the parents educated on that and their buy-in, I think it's crucial, that they can actually work on at-home flexibility exercises. And again, you're just you're just hopefully enhancing that child for, yes, we're, we're GA coaches and we'll hopefully stick with GA. But if I was to meet some of the children that I'm currently coaching in my nursery or that maybe that they're still involved in sport and physical activity, uh, long-term would be my goal as such.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I totally understand what you're saying. And it's good to hear that, that, that you put so much work, I suppose, into the education of parents and making sure they understand uh, what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And I suppose that's something that we all as coaches could could pay attention to because it's something that we could all learn from. You talk about trying to get the kids to practice, to want to practice themselves at home. Give me a practical example. There I am. Uh, I have a group of eight, seven or eight-year-olds. How do i get them to practice at home
1: so i suppose it's probably getting to know your players and kind of asking them and empowering them and a lot of the times they come up with different activities so like i suppose a really simple activity could be a catch but you're trying to then really see what what they're doing at home whether it's Fortnite is the biggest popular um game or whatever the case may be or or tiktok and all these other things that are probably i wouldn't be that familiar with but to in, incorporate the floss into flossing and then catching or the dab or the woe and all these movements. So I'm learning, the children are nearly teaching me in terms of what's down with the, with the children in terms of lingo and the, the new common phrases. And again, if they're practicing the catch at home and they're doing a little TikTok dance or whatever else, and that's their homework for next week um, and engage them in that process. And sometimes they come up with their own moves and then next week in class, we, we offer like five or 10 minutes of the class or was practicing their skills, let's see their movement, and everyone else tries it. So maybe then you're facilitating them and empowering them to take ownership, and they're racing out the door to tell you their new one, or they see you when you're packing up the car for another class. I was doing this one, here, should I've done, Louise. And it's great to see that they're actually thinking about it and being creative. And children are very creative if we just give them opportunities to be so.
0: Yes, yeah, so you're just basically, again, it's coming back to empowering them to be... Uh to experiment to try something new and to in i really like that uh, the way you put it there to put it into something that they're familiar with or that they're into so whether it be trying to do the floss or you're doing a catch or whatever it may be that's 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 really interesting uh take on it i think
1: it's just getting to know your players more and and, and the children themselves and i suppose maybe there you might have the the most talented children coming up with the most creative um idea but you might have mm-hmm. then the most the the child who's maybe a little bit reserved, you're slowly then increasing their confidence and you're trying to maybe pinpoint the child who's very quiet in class. And maybe you're going over subtly and giving them an idea. And then you make sure that they're comfortable in practicing the skill on their own and maybe giving them a little bit of advice. And then all of a sudden then you're maybe getting them in twos or threes, a small group, and then two or three maybe a quieter children that's a little bit more reserved and maybe lacking a little bit of confidence and all of a sudden then you're putting them on a pedestal for other children to learn from each other and I suppose that's life lessons as well that they're a class that you can't just have the two or three talented children taking over and, and um, kind of running the class as such that there's a place for everybody and from from every child develops at their own rate so it's just giving them the opportunity to, to excel and to thrive
0: yeah no it's, it's commendable so fair play um and just bringing that expanding on that from what we talked about at the start bringing that into then your older age groups or your more sort of let's say adult teams or even edging towards the the elite or the the those who are putting more emphasis on winning how do you see the this snc the analysis and the coaching all linking together or does it still happen in its silos so the SC has 10 minutes for a warm up or a gym session or whatever, and then the coach takes over. Um, where does the analysis fit in? Is it all linked or, or are they in, still in those sort of separate silos?
1: I think what you'd want to get to is that they're all linked in together because at the end of the day, the players are at the centre of all this. And um, I suppose if everybody works together in a team environment, that it's it's cross linked so maybe then in terms of video analysis and stats is linking in with the medical team that if there's an issue with, with running technique or the SNC coach can try and adjust a sessions based on maybe the player's gps so it's like a small cog in each area is linking into the bigger picture for the benefit of the player so even then players are quite time poor so you're trying to make everything as as small and as and, and as as snappy as possible um so that they're not spending a huge amount of time uh, reviewing clips. It's small, it's snappy in terms of then their s that it's appropriate mon- monitored for them. Um, so again, it's it's all the one picture. And again, it probably buys into the philosophy of the coaching team as well around them. Everybody works as a team together for the benefit of the players, for them to thrive and every row and in the one direction.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, I fully agree with everything you just said. And do you think that's actually happening out there, though, or... Is it very much that you have your S&C expert in one side, your uh, performance analysis expert on another side, and your coach somewhere in the middle? And the reason I'm asking, because I think you have a unique perspective, because you do all of them, uh, and I'm just curious on, on what you think is, is the current state of play is out there.
1: Yeah, I suppose it would probably depend, like even I suppose maybe when I look back into maybe club teams I've been involved in, they might not necessarily have a person in each of them roles. The one person sometimes could be trying to do the two or three roles there. Um, but I think, again, it, it, kind of empowering others again and educating people that this is, is best practice going forward in terms of helping each other. So that if there is a person doing SSC and a person doing video analysis, that, that they are, actually are communicating with each other. Uh, no different than the coaches communicating with everybody and asking the players as well that maybe if there's a big focus on S&C in the session and they want to do skills or they feel their skills are lacking that to have that uh, platform there or forum that that can be addressed and then that subsequent trainings can be adjusted to again suit the needs of the player that's involved there
0: Okay, so yeah, you, basically you, if people are talking to each other and working together it's going to be way more beneficial for the players uh, throughout the whole process
1: Definitely, and they're the centre of it all, so again, they're the focus of everybody should be, their one focus should be on that player thriving in, in all areas of their game, whether it be skills, whether it be um, personal development, whether it be S&C, whether it be video analysis, whether it be tactics, that the player is central to it all. So if everybody works together and they're not trying to say here more time spent on mine or not, it's it's give and take at different times in the year also.
0: Yeah, and you've talked about player the player being the center of the process several times so far. Um it's obviously rooted fairly strongly in your own coach and philosophy. In, in terms of how you educate others in terms of your coach education background, is that something that you try and get across as best you possibly can, or is it a case that uh you have to sort of start slowly and, and, and let people come to that realisation themselves?
1: Yeah, I suppose, again, I probably mentioned it there a few minutes ago there in terms of telling, I don't think telling works um, as well as them kind of understanding for themselves or you're kind of painting the puzzle for them. And all of a sudden, then it kind of clicks. So I think in, a, in terms of, of coach education course and everything else, you're giving them, you're trying to give them data also. And then you're trying to maybe get them reflecting on maybe their own sporting um past, whether they've played, whether they've coached, maybe let them think of, of a coach who's made a, a really big influence on them. Uh, maybe if they were a player in a situation and what they experienced, be it good or bad, and let them learn from them and reflect from past experiences to try and then, obviously, each each person's individual coaching philosophy will change dramatically as well and, and should continue to change as well. So again, if they can come up with their own reasons from maybe the past experiences, plus maybe best practice, giving them a little bit of information in terms of best practice and stats and research, and then to try and get them really understanding that maybe as a club ethos, this should be the case that we're not expecting players to play up and then players at the, at the age group that are playing up they're not getting a game at their own age group too. So it's all these sometimes politics and clubs also. Maybe it's always been done this certain way. So it's important that the new coaches coming through sometimes are the ones that can actually change this if they have the right coaching philosophy and kind of ethos at heart for again the, co- the player to be at the centre of all this. It's not uh, Mary's team. It's not uh, John's team. It's the, the club's team or the county's team
0: yeah so and again you obviously place a huge amount of importance on on continually educating and improving uh even just looking at your own background so how what you in the coach education stuff that you do at the moment what if, what in your view is the most important component what's the most uh i'm guessing it's not going to be technical in terms of teaching them how to to coach a skill yeah so
1: probably I think debriefing, so I suppose even it goes back, probably back in 2011, I think I did my award two up in Ulster J and um, I would have got feedback on your award two. so it was fitted at the time and then you have a good, I think it was 45 minutes of a debrief session and I suppose even to this day, that debrief session I think has done wonders for me in terms of my, I think my own coaching and the way I was doing things, the way I was saying things, so I think that debriefing aspect can't be overlooked. Um, so, even on a course, if you're giving everybody the opportunity to coach, even if it's only five or six minutes, even if it's only coaching in, in a group of two or a group of three, getting them, first of all, probably asking the right questions for them to reflect on their own coaching a session that they've just done, maybe the questions they've asked. Um, and then maybe getting others to also in a positive environment and frame it correctly to kind of peer review each other also and I think that's where real learning occurs you can go to all these courses and if you're just writing down the drills and, and taking it in and being a one-way system it's not going to be a, I think a huge value of learning I think the real value is maybe taking what you learn in a course um, maybe putting your own little slant on it trying it out with the team on the Wednesday evening the Thursday evening and then reflecting it reviewing it and changing it as you go along and actually trial and error I think is the real chance of of learning and and becoming a better coach
0: so first step have that bit of courage to try something new to try something different and then reflect upon how it actually worked or how you feel that it worked
1: yeah so giving them the opportunity first and foremost and and then Again, kind of giving them maybe little areas to improve on. And again, you're not, it's very, um, some people feel very conscious in terms of getting up in front of a group and coaching. So again, it's giving them the confidence and then again, letting them review themselves, first of all. And then it's obviously always positive as well. And, and it's kind of areas to improve and, and small um, things they can work on going forward.
0: Okay. So how, we, loads of people that we've had on the show talk about their uh, reflection and how they, how they reflect on their own coaching sessions and reflective practices they try and get their players to encourage. I have two questions for you, on it. One, how does that look for you? Is it a case that you just have a like, little checklist that afterwards? Is it written down or do you just go through it in your head? And two, how do you try and encourage it within the athletes or players that you work with? Yeah, so I
1: suppose reflective a practice I suppose as a coach sometimes is, is instilling that maybe if there's a panel of five or six coaches I'm talking maybe a club team here and there's five or six or seven coaches that they are maybe each person takes a drill or, or an activity as such and then they're each reviewing it like each other maybe your explanation was, was was went on too long they didn't get active for two two and a half minutes maybe that was too long in terms of people sometimes get sidetracked and maybe talk too much so again we want are players engaged as well and maybe asking the right questions of the players? And instead of the coach telling, I think letting the players figure out for themselves what uh, little tactic would they put into this game? How would they change the game? How would they make it harder? How would they make it easier? And empowering the players to do so um, in terms of the coaches maybe reflecting on each other. But even, I suppose, um, listening to sometimes coaches' feedback. So maybe, I suppose, I don't know, but when I, like people probably people watch, but I like when I go to a match and I'm not taking stats and I'm not in the nitty-gritty of I can't really switch off, but I continuously am am drawn to the coach's feedback. So in terms of sometimes you hear coaches giving feedback to players at any age, and it's like they're sitting sitting watching the Sunday game. They're using the same phrases that you'd hear on the Sunday game on a Sunday evening. Um, and I'm, you're kind of thinking, what benefit is that to the children themselves? Um, do they actually understand these phrases that are commonly used? And maybe it's just, I don't even think some people are... are know that they're doing it. So I'd write down in a little book here different phrases that I'd hear time and time again. And I suppose just maybe draw on then coaches' attention to that. So when they go to the next game that they'll understand it and listen out for maybe coaches' feedback. And then themselves, maybe that their feedback can be a bit more uh, constructive and a bit more specific to, first of all, the team as a whole, but maybe the, the feedback that they're given should be more specific to each individual player. Again, your talented players might need as much um, feedback maybe your middle players might need a bit more targeted feedback for them to improve that. Maybe their decision-making, maybe their their choice of, of skill that they used. So again, I think that's coaching and then you're trying to educate them in terms of deciding on when to use each skill in the match. So they're well-equipped with a lot of the skills, but maybe it's their decision-making. That's the one thing that might. So even pause, and I suppose pausing in a game and asking them if they give, the way, give away the ball what could you have done differently there in that situation? And maybe let them replay that movement rather than just taking the ball off and say they overcarried or something like that. You give them again and say, what would you do differently this time? And they might then take the four steps. And that's kind of them thinking, this is the right thing to do now going forward. So we, that's probably more so then on the player side of things, then getting the players to reflect in action on the training field, what they do differently. And I think that's challenging them in a way. But again, by you picking out on one player to do that, you're, your the other players on the group are also learning as well from it
0: yeah no uh, i really like the way that the that, that's a real practical example stop the game and use questioning ask questions what could you have done different so it's not um it's not challenging it's it's i it, sorry it is challenging but it's not that you're giving out it's just asking the question and allowing them to to hopefully give you a the response that you're you're hoping for or that that uh, that you think will help them improve you mentioned language there, and I think it's fascinating the way. I'd love to see that book. I bet you I could uh, p- uh, guess a few of them that'd be in there myself. Um, how important then is that use of language? Uh, and I'm thinking now, you have me thinking a group of a group of coaches working with a a, a juvenile team or a, or a or a kids team in in any sport. But if there's five or six coaches and they're all using different phrases and stuff like that, that's going to get confusing for the kid. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So, and again, it's kind of different messages. So even a player in one position, it'd be like, oh, we want you to attack. And then the manager could say, no, no, sit back and push up and mark the space and all these phrases that probably all adults are familiar with. But do we actually ask the children we're working with do to understand what that means? So um, I think even language then when it goes back to even, an individual so kind of using their good and their bad side, straight away then it's negative connotations with bad side instead of saying good and great so if you keep practicing your good side it'll make it great so I suppose even early on you don't try and refer to it as as dominant or non-dominant or or good and bad side that it's kind of good and great or your just your other side because some of the children don't even know the difference between their left and right early on so it's just trying to get that in early and your language I think is crucial to all that too um, and then I suppose if you kind of have a, a coherent approach to your management team and maybe sometimes the silent sidelines is good as well so that the players can kind of think themselves. There's nothing worse than you hear coaches. Okay, go four steps, take your four steps. Okay, bounce it. Okay, look up. He's to your right, she's to your left. And they're nearly talking through every single play. And again, I think coaches sometimes, if we we educate our players enough, we should, there's going to make mistakes. Surely everybody makes mistakes. That's how they're going to learn. But that we're not, that the players aren't then solely relying on you as a coach to try and tell them exactly because sometimes then if you can't make a match they're listening out for your voice on the sideline and maybe you're not there at that match or whatever else and all of a sudden then they feel maybe um, a little bit vulnerable too without you so again try and empower them as best they can and maybe players on the field can try and help each other but be it positive on the field language wise and all inclusive
0: yeah and again I think that's you're giving some really really practical examples and answers there that people can use in their own coaching which which is fantastic Um Louise, I wanted to touch on something. Um you got yourself uh, and Emma are obviously doing this a, a long time now and have a lot of experience and have a great deal of success in terms of your your own coaching so involved with the Kilkenny senior hurlers. Um it's I suppose it's rare that you'd see a female coach uh, getting involved. Uh it, with men's teams, especially at that level. And anyway, that's changing and that's great to see. And and some of the best coaches I know are female. I'm just wondering, do you think there's a lot of challenges for girls to get involved in coaching or um what do you think? How do you think the current state of play is?
1: Um I suppose if we was to bring it back to the club, I suppose first and foremost, for instance, let's say the under eights would be the first teams that comes out of the academy. So probably an under sevens, you're trying to kind of um, pick the, the group of coaches that's going to lead the boys and the girls team in, so it'd be football and Haaland for the boys and it'd be uh, ladies football and camogie for the girls so I suppose when you put out there could be maybe 60, 70 children maybe 30 or 40 boys, 30 or 40 girls and they're kind of they're separate then at that stage and you'd, you'd send a, a little a sheet and you could have maybe like 35 names for the boys side and then you'd literally have about three or four names putting themselves forward for the girls' side of things sometimes. So, again, I think it does come back to maybe confidence a lot of the time too. So I suppose that's just maybe in, in a club setting. Um, But I suppose even... I suppose I was probably lucky in a way because I had Emma alongside me and I suppose we pushed each other in terms of maybe going to of our comfort zone. Um, the course we did in IT Carlow was sports management coaching. And on the GA side of things, there was only four girls out of a cohort of about 30. Um, And even in college, and I suppose... Um, would have played loads of load sports but would have got involved with coaching the men's intermediate team and again um, I suppose that was a really great opportunity for us um, to to increase our coaching experience as well and again like the boys and, and the players we were over at that stage too had no problem with us coaching like once you're doing your job that's bottom line I think gender is irrelevant and I suppose feeding into Kenny like Michael Dempsey in IT Carlo then would have given us that opportunity to get involved there um, we had a a module of, of sports performance uh, video analysis and it was something that really I suppose interested me from an early age in terms of just even reviewing my own my own games or whatever go, growing up and then we had to pick a team and we picked the Singerson team at the time and Michael Dempsey's brother Sean would have been involved and we had to do one or two games and we ended up doing the whole season of games from the O'Bearn Cup right up to uh, Singerson mm-hmm. and uh, we would have done a little dossier up a report and and um, Michael Dempsey would have seen it, and that was kind of it. And from there, and we're in there since, I suppose. Um, and he's been a huge mentor for us, also. And even in college, I suppose, put your hand up for different opportunities. So we volunteered to fitness test various Central County teams, mainly male teams, to be honest. Um, and that gave us a good skill set in that area as well, and probably really pushed us then to to do a further education in, in terms of a masters in strength and conditioning. Then, but I think. I suppose I did. I was. I probably unfortunate in terms of I had Emma alongside me in terms of pushing us for it. Um, I think the challenge is only there if you let them be challenges. I suppose. Um, again, I think there's there's so many really really good role models in terms of like Maggie Farley refereeing, female refereeing, refereeing in the men's games, and Downey, Paula Cunningham. and there's there's some female there coaches. But I think maybe the pathway there, if if they're just encouraged and supported from from grassroots right up, and that it's the norm, so I think even in some of my schools there, there was a little questionnaire on how many female coaches had, let's say, the boys got in in the school, and none of them. I think I was the only, let's say, female coach that they nearly had um, experience with. So again, I think it is slowly changing, um, and again, hopefully, hopefully it'll improve. Mags Darshie there with Wexford, Cleo O'Connor with Dublin. There, there's massive role models there out there. It's just showcasing them.
0: Yeah no absolutely as, as I said it is getting better and uh, I think y- yourself and Emma are, are really good role models in, in yourself you've been a bit modest there. Um, Louis has been fantastic with your time so far so we asked three questions to everybody that comes on the show so the first one uh, what do you class as a successful coach?
1: Um, I think a successful coach um, to be continually open to learning so like I'm learning every day I go out. And to be honest, you learn a lot from the children themselves and just giving them opportunities to teach you um, as well. And you learn so much. It it goes both ways, I think. So hopefully they're learning one or two things from you and you're instilling a little love of sport for physical activity. But again, you're learning so much from them in terms of the way they're reacting to you, the way they react to certain situations. Um, So I think open to learning is one thing. I suppose even constantly trying to upskill. So even I suppose in, in this current climate, that it's probably a really good opportunity to upskill various online courses, online webinars, um, loads of different sessions and, and sharing with others. Um, and then I suppose maybe continuing to adapt as well. I think adaptability is crucial too. So I suppose even in these current situations as a coach, I'm doing a lot of virtual si- virtual sessions with, with teams to try and keep um, players and their families engaged with, with Gaelic Games as well. And it's making a big difference to their lives as well, the feedback. Um, so they Might not have, have slitters at home, and um, so you're maybe getting rolled up socks, uh, using toilet papers, different challenges at home, and again, the focus can be on fundamental movement skills there, too. So, I suppose them three things there maybe open to learning, maybe being adaptable, and then continually re- reflecting I think would be important to be continually doing.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't argue with anything there. I'm really well put, um, yeah, and uh, I've seen the uh. The Fundamental Movement Skills video that yourself and your sister put together is fantastic. And for anyone listening, we, we might stick a link up. Um, I think there's over 100 games that you guys have there so that, that anyone can play at home. It's a really useful resource. Speaking of resources, best book, uh, podcast, presenter, uh, resource, anything at all that you'd recommend to
1: coaches listening? Um, I suppose in this current climate like there's so many webinars on so I'd encourage everybody to do that and listen to each other and so many podcasts as well out there but I suppose one book there that really kind of legacy by by James Kerr I suppose it's more not specifically about coaching but more about values and, and kind of understanding and communication-wise. So that'd be one book there. And I've only started then Conscious Coaching by uh, Brett Bartolomew as well. So it's more in, in terms of communication too. And I hopefully like upskill continually too. And the way you, you communicate, whether it be skills, whether it be S&C, whether it be performance analysis, how you communicate that with your players. Because you can have all the knowledge, but if you don't kind of try and communicate that effectively, I don't think it's much use.
0: Yeah, well, it ties in, I suppose, back what you said earlier on about... Uh... The, the the language that you use and 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 how you actually then use it maybe in the form of questioning or or whatever it may be, um, last question, top tips for a developing coach,
1: um, I suppose not being afraid to maybe try new things because even looking at different sports and trying it out and and I think that's the only way you're going to learn is 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 trying it out trial and error and we've all made plenty of mistakes we've we set an activity and we've planned it to work and we need to change it. Um, I suppose then making sure that there's a process there to try and talk, talk to others about it um, communicate with others, get advice. Just and, on uh, a idea, bounce ideas off each other or such.
0: Yeah, just on that. So uh, getting ideas off each other or getting advice off each other, that sort of community of practice approach, uh, like the club environment in, in GAA should be a perfect example of of how that works or, or that working well. But yet, if you don't hear that many reports of it, is that something that you try and actively encourage in the places you work?
1: Um Yeah. So, like, I suppose even in, in the club I'm working with now, Scary's Harp. So, I suppose, like, a large club, sometimes everybody's uh, just worrying about their own little kind of plot of land as such in front of them, so their own little team. Um, so, it's important that, like, let's say the under eights, you're trying to like mentor them up a little bit so that the under eights from, from last year are helping the current under eights now. So if they were to re- like re- rewind the year, what would they do differently? So I think that knowledge of a quick sit down meeting for 10 or 15 minutes can be so valuable for the club, for them links there, because some sometimes the mentors of an under 11 team might not know the mentors of the under 14 team as such. Sometimes it does get lost in translation a little bit because everybody's trying to do their own little job. And again, I think if you have more... um wide approach as a club for everybody to help each other through um, and again just learning from each other I think sometimes you don't need, need to nearly go necessarily go outside your own club you have the people within it and sometimes even maybe getting a coach to visit other teams and give a little bit of feedback and again if they go to another team then you want that team then to maybe go to another training session and learn that way and see what's being done that way because I think sometimes you're, you're better coaching your clubs if they're spread around a bit more and then they're imparting their knowledge and helping everyone, everyone develop then.
0: Yeah, and again, really, really practical advice. Um, Louise, listen, you've been brilliant uh, with your time and I can't uh, really appreciate you coming on. Um, if people want to find out more about Born uh, performance, etc., where can they go look?
1: So we're just on... on- twitter there and facebook
0: so it's only a small business there the two of us happy days well we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll tweet out the, the links and stuff like that uh, Louise it's been fantastic uh, so many things to take away from uh, from the chat uh, really like the way that you talked about um, you have to cater for what's in front of you so like the, to, to whatever suits that individual teams need it's not one size fits all uh, you talked about empowering the player a, a huge amount of times and I think that's so so important and such a crucial message to get out to people uh, being child-centered in your coaching, using your coaching eye uh, in terms of uh, linking that sort of analysis into your own coaching, uh, the importance of the use of language and questioning, and how you debrief and, and that reflective practice that you use. And one really big thing that stood in, in there for stood out for me today was that you talked about a couple of times as let the children teach you let them be the teachers and I think if people uh, take that on board that they could really really help their own coaching journey so Louise thank you very much